but they're so soft and they're just perfect to hug because we don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend to hug (laughs) to hold you at night they're for singles (laughs) i feel like even if i were to obtain a significant other like i'd be like all right you can go on that side of the bed i'll be over here with francis (laughs) (laughs) hello he's so soft no whenever when we eventually get significant others like i know they're gonna be jealous of tristan because tristan's so soft Should we begin for real this time? Sure. Are you done eating your candy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hello. Welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. And we are back. I need a better thing to say there. <laughs> <laughs> we are... We could, like... I mean, Full we of could, information, ready to answer questions. Jane and I have two new friends entering the podcast. Four. Four new friends. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they're all new. They're all newbies. <laughs> Do you want to introduce your friends first? Um, Sure. I've got a little boy with me here named uh, Orion. Um, He's a space monster. He has a really goofy face, and I don't know much other information about him other than he's squishy and soft and a really good pillow. And then sitting right here next to me in my chair is Francis. He's a lion. He's also a firefighter and a local hero. (laughs) Should we explain, or would you like to introduce? We'll introduce the whole gag, and then we'll explain. Um, and then also joining us on the podcast now, we have four new co-hosts, I can't believe it, um, <laughs> is Cleo the Kitty. Cleo is an aspiring actress. Her favorite holiday is Halloween. She's president of the drama club, wow. and she loves to get her friends together to dress up and act out scenes from some of their favorite plays. And then I also have Tristan. <laughs> Tristan. <laughs> oh, I think I, I love Cleo and Orion, but I think Francis and Tristan are kind of my fave. <laughs> They're so funny. And then Tristan, who is a Triceratops, um, and he is a personal trainer. <laughs> I guess we can explain. Yeah, for context, um, we went to a Walgreens last weekend to pick up some things while we were in Maryland. We just and... needed hydrogen peroxide. It was a dollar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we got distracted on our way because Walgreens has this is like selling this line of I don't even know if I want to call them stuffed animals because they're more like pillows. They're just the softest, but they're shaped like animals you've and ever seen. We saw them and we were like, oh my gosh, these are so cute. And we like stopped to just like look at them for a sec. But they are literally the softest, squishiest, most comfortable things. Oh yeah. Like, and they all have like adorable faces. And then if you look at their tags, they give them like hilariously mundane everyday jobs there was a candy corn who was a nutritionist like Like, what like (laughs) and their names are all like like regular names yeah i just we just thought they were so funny and i got i got the little one which is a different brand named orion who's super squishy and then my roommate surprised me by going back to walgreens to get me francis because we had been talking about Francis, the ones we didn't get, Francis, Tristan, Carmen. (laughs) (laughs) They're just so big and squishy and comfy. I got Cleo when we were in Maryland. And then yesterday we were at the Dunkin' Donuts. We were at Dunkin' Donuts and there was a Walgreens next door. And it was the Walgreens where our roommate, Kelsey, had gotten Jane Francis. And I was like, well, let's just go see if they have Tristan. Because I have been thinking (laughs) a lot about Tristan. Um, And he was sitting way up on a top shelf. And I was like, I need him. Because he's a Triceratops. And Triceratopses have always been my favorites. So I was like, okay, you're mine now. So now I have Cleo. I like that mine are both green. They've got like a green color aesthetic. Like, we're 24 and it's fine. We're grown-ups and adults. And sometimes we're allowed to want squishy things. They're just so squishy. And it's so comforting to just hug it. We've been keeping them in the living room because it's like our couch doesn't quite touch the wall. So it's been like nice to be able to put it behind your head and like lean against the wall. They helped us do a puzzle last night. They did. 
Wow, we really are truly, truly blessed. Also, it's a good vindication for that Charmander I got over the summer. He was adorable, and I love him so much, but he is not squishy in the slightest. The funny thing about him is if you look at him, looking at him right now, he looks like he'd be squishy if you picked him up. Yeah, no, you just want to hug him because he's got his arms up in the air, and he's like, hug me. But then when you pick him up, you're like, you are hard as rocks. (laughs) I might be a Pokemon trainer for Halloween, just like a generic one, and carry around Charmander. Should we get started? Sure. Great. I think that was a good how are we segment. Yeah, I think so, I think so too. Please welcome our new creative team. <laughs> Wait, okay. Who's okay? Who are the are Francis and Tristan producers? Oh, Ryan is our marketing director. <laughs> Cleo is our personal assistant. All right, so for real, for real. Last week you asked me to address why some people think that Shakespeare didn't write all of his plays and sonnets. Yes. I'm sorry if this was triggering for you. No, it wasn't. It was interesting um, for me to read some of the reasoning behind it because I always just thought like, oh, there's this like playwright who I whose work I really revere and how dare some people just be like, yeah, probably didn't do it. Like probably somebody. Right. Like, uh, so it was helpful to me to like see the reasoning behind mm-hmm. it and to learn more a Open little bit your about. Mind. Yeah, I'll start with a little bit of biography about William Shakespeare. Of course. He was born on April 23rd in 1564 and died on the same day in 1616. Yes. He was born in Stratford-upon-Avon to John Shakespeare, who was an alderman and a glove maker, and Mary Arden, who was a farmer's daughter. Shakespeare most likely attended King's New School, which was a free school. It was chartered in 1553, and it was only a quarter mile away from his house. So he... only. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that's not that far. That's not that bad to walk now. Yeah. He's lucky compared to others. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, like our parents' generation who was like, I had to walk to school uphill both, both ways. ways. Six miles yeah. in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a quarter of a mile. Not too bad. However, there is no official documentation of Shakespeare actually having attended that school but it's just sort of assumed because it was so close to his house i thought you were gonna say there's no evidence of shakespeare being born (laughs) it's like what well actually his birthday is just kind of assumed Mm -hmm. he was baptized on april 26th oh okay but and there's no like birth certificate that says like exactly what day he was born on so people just kind of like well let's just say it was the same day he died but convenient that's probably like i think that's kind of likely though to be three days prior to your um baptismal date Uh, yeah i don't know what medieval baptism like my cousin's about to get baptized and he's he's doing it the same day he's turning one you know so it really yeah i think nowadays we wait longer but i think back then it was like because christianity was so much more engulfed in society and like you weren't considered a person yeah and so you were baptized baptized. so it's like do it faster yeah. yeah 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 In 1582, at the age of 18, Shakespeare married Anne Hathaway, who was... (laughs) Renowned actress. (laughs) Sorry, I had to. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm really sorry. He married the star of The Devil Wears Prada. uh, (laughs) Amongst many other classic movies. Oscar winner. She's won an Oscar? Yeah, she has. Yeah, for Les Mis, didn't she? Yes. Yeah. Anne Hathaway was 26 years old. Eight years older than Shakespeare. Oh. And she was already three months pregnant when they were married. Scandal. Scandal. Wait, was this with um, Hamnet? She was pregnant? (laughs) This was with Susanna. Oh, okay. Yeah, their oldest child was Susanna. I like that name. Two years later, they had twins named Judith and Hamnet. (laughs) Not Hamlet. Hamnet. Hamnet. See, the thing is, is I like the name Susanna and Judith so much. And then you throw in Hamnet and I'm like, okay, what? (laughs) Well, it's actually sad because Hamnet died at age 11. Yeah, that is very sad. Which, what was the name of that movie that came out this this year? I saw it over the summer. It was pretty good. Oh, All or Nothing? All is True? All is True. Yeah. Um, That was mostly about, like, the familial reaction to hamnet's death really yeah it's about like shakespeare coming home to stratford after his career is over and the family dealing with the fact that he didn't really come home to mourn hamnet and Mm -hmm. how they all reacted afterwards and the various results uh following the birth of his twins in 1585 this is this is fun um there was a period of seven years until 1592 where there is no documentation of Shakespeare doing anything. 
we are the like, there's pirates no, yeah. who don't do anything. There's no documents with his name on it. There, were, there was That's nothing weird. published. So there's seven years that they refer to as Shakespeare's lost years. <gasps> That's creepy. That's like something out of National Treasure, and I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> That's like you have to discover what he did in the lost years. Yeah, and there's a couple like conspiracy theories as to what was going on then. Uh, Funny, I still love you even though you're not fluffy. He's looking at me like I cannot believe. He is my childhood stuffed animal. I've had him since the day I was born and it shows. (laughs) Same with my teddy bear main bear. Yeah. I I picked him up to move him at some point last night and I was like, oh, you're far less soft. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Like, I still love you the best. Yeah. Yeah. The one theory as to what he was doing in the seven years is that he was traveling in Italy. Romantic. Yeah. People think that because he sets... A bunch so of his many, plays yeah. in Italy, and he seems to have a very detailed knowledge of it. Mm, so yeah, people are like, sense. maybe he lived there for a time. Yeah. How would you know that much about Italy if you've never been there? Yeah. No such thing as, like, the internet back then, you know? You can't... Right. You can't look up a picture. <laughs> <laughs> There's one theory that he was in trouble in Stratford with a local landowner who he poached a deer on his land. Oh. And, like, was in trouble with the law, so he went to London and, like was in hiding oh my god to try and avoid legal persecution wow shakespeare i know and there is one theory that he was working for a schoolmaster in lancashire named alexander hofton and the reason why people think maybe this is the case is because in alexander hofton's will he named someone named william shakeshaft (laughs) i love shake shack Shake Shack is named after Shakespeare. No, well, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, really? <laughs> However, Shakeshaft was actually a common last name at the time. So. <laughs> I don't need to know the etymology. So that's that. not really that much of proof. I think that's probably, you know time when he was maybe meeting some people that he was writing sonnets about oh because really his writing began more so after his lost time like Mm -hmm. his first plays that we really know him for were in the early 1590s which was like right when that period ended but what is interesting about the ending of the lost years is that when he came back like when we start getting documentation of him again there's lots of it's as if he never went anywhere and he's already a well-known established playwright that's famous for it. That's really weird. Yeah. And you'd think if he were a famous playwright by 1592 or were becoming a famous playwright by 1592, there'd be documents and and like, yeah, something, but something with his name on it before then. See, to me, this is proof that Shakespeare is another person and then he kind (laughs) of just emerged like, or there was a switch. Well, intriguingly the one the biggest theory the biggest like conspiracy theory that people think might be the case is that christopher marlowe yes who is a fellow elizabethan playwright dr faustus yeah he got famous just before shakespeare Mm -hmm. and he died on may 30th 1593 oh now the first published work of shakespeare that we have yeah under the written name William Shakespeare, um, was actually an epic poem entitled Venus and Adonis, okay. which I'd never heard of. I was yeah, like, I've heard of this. And it was printed in the same year. It was sent to the printer on April 18th, like just a month before Christopher yeah. Marlowe's death, and was sold on June 12th, two weeks later. That's Two really weeks weird. after Christopher Marlowe's death. So what people who believe in this theory, believe is that Christopher Marlowe faked his own death, went to Europe and started writing plays under the name William Shakespeare, sending them to London to be performed. Right. And there's some who even believe that the face of Shakespeare that we know is just an actor from the... Yeah. From the troupe. The troupe. I'm trying to remember the name of it. The Lord Chamberlain's men and then... When um, Queen Elizabeth was no longer the queen, they became the king's men for King James. Uh, (laughs) Rolls eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, I understand why people think that because the timing of it is just like sus. Yeah, that is super (laughs) sus. But there's just so much evidence for me that William Shakespeare as a person existed. Yeah. That I don't think he was a pen name. 
I understand the theories that are like, he well, maybe he didn't write everything by himself. But to me, it makes more sense that he was a person. Yeah. Do you think maybe in that time he was writing under, I guess we would have evidence of that, that he was writing under another name. And then in 1792, he was like, that was a fake name. My real name is William Shakespeare. And then he started publishing stuff under Shakespeare. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Well, it's funny because the first piece of writing, the first thing that mentions William Shakespeare is him coming out of his lost years. <laughs> is, um, fellow break. Elizabethan playwright Robert Greene um, published this work, like, tearing Shakespeare apart. <laughs> Yikes. Which I honestly wish people would, like, insult each other like this on Twitter if they're going <laughs> to insult each other. Because um, let me just read you what he wrote about we wanna, him. We're going to revamp cancel culture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For a little bit of context, the phrase Johannes Factotum means jack of all trade, master of none. Mm-hmm. The quote, tiger's heart wrapped in a player's hide <laughs> is a reference to a Shakespeare quote that's tiger's heart wrapped in a woman's hide from Henry VI. Little to make this amazing insult that this man wrote and published about Shakespeare. Saying, there is an upstart crow beautified with our feathers that with his tiger's heart wrapped in a player's hide, supposes he is as well able to bombast out a blank verse as the best of you. And being an absolute Johannes factotum in his own conceit, the only shake scene in a country. Like, wow. Wow. (laughs) Such a beautiful, long-winded way of being like, this guy thinks he's way better than he is. Yeah. Shakespeare was greatly influenced by other Elizabethan playwrights such as Robert Greene, Thomas Nash, Thomas Kidd, and Christopher Marlowe. And this is partially because, I mean, they were good playwrights and he wanted to like emanate them by yeah. writing in similar styles to them. Yeah. But also all of those writers have like documented education. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense? Yeah. Uh, they, they were university studied, whereas Shakespeare... We just assume that he went to this school while he yeah. was a boy, but we know he didn't attend a university. So he was definitely not as well educated as the rest of them, which yeah. is another thing that people are like, how was he able to write so well and write yeah. as well as these other writers if he didn't go to school? Yeah. And also there's no evidence of either of his parents being particularly educated. Right. Who they might have homeschooled him but if they didn't really know right anything, no, that's not like everyone yeah had education and his mother then. probably wasn't even literate and his father was a glove maker which is not something yeah that a glove maker is usually educated um and also uh, there is a great deal of evidence that his daughters were not literate mm. and i'm i'm not sure if his wife was interesting you'd think that's, that's if your father's Shakespeare. Yeah, you'd that's be us. right. the The first histories that he wrote drew heavily from a book written in 1587 by Raphael Holinshed uh, called "The Chronicles of England, Scotland, and Ireland." Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also influenced by medieval drama and medieval drama tropes and mm-hmm. um, various folklore and plays by Seneca. "Comedy of Errors" is based on a classical story. Taming of the Shrew is most, like, is most likely a folk story, mm. which is, ugh, yeah, <laughs> oh, brother. In oh, I'll the... tell you all about folk tales really soon. <laughs> yeah, so he started off pretty heavily in the history and telling stories that were already, like, well-known stories. And in the mid-1590s, he transitioned into more romantic plays. He wrote A Midsummer Night's Dream, Merchant of Venice, Much Do About Nothing, Twelfth Night, As You Like It. It's getting more romantic. And yeah. All the... This really pointed out to me the evolution of his writing and i really appreciate that because i never really knew the order of it all and do people think that he had this transition into writing these very romantic plays because like he was having an affair with a specific person i don't know i mean there is a very widely believed theory that he was having an affair and that's who all his sonnets were written about Mm -hmm. because a great number of his sonnets are written about like a young boy right and it's like, okay, well, who's yeah, this young boy, someone... Shakespeare? It's not your wife. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was it someone in your acting? Was it's it not like... your older wife. Like, yeah. In the early 17th century, he transitioned into writing what we kind of call problem plays. Right. Like uh, Measure for Measure. Winter's Tale. Not Winter's Tale. Oh, um, that's not called a... that's All's not... Well That Ends Well. Mm. And like the most famous tragedy. So he went from like 
I'm writing histories and I'm copying to like, maybe I'll get a little bit more ran- romantic to, let me think of some like super complicated plots. <laughs> Why are they considered problem plays? Because um, they don't fit into the theme of rom- of comedy or Well, those, I think, tragedy? maybe. I think those I are more those. close to, well, measure for measure, I don't know exactly because there is like couples that get together at the end of it, but. It's also like about rape isn't yeah it? it's i hate measure for measure although it's almost like commentary at the same time i think it depends but on i hate framed. the act yeah. of watching it yeah. it's like ugh, yeah too... i think it depends on how it's framed yeah yeah it, like i usually the definition of comedy and tragedy is like is there marriages at the end or yeah, is there not, not. yeah <laughs> and measure for measure like there is a marriage although that's not really the central plot Okay, so yeah, that's probably what it's like. Winter style. Yeah, I assume they were called problem plays because it's like a tricky situation that the characters have to like think of a creative solution out of it. If that okay, makes any but I sense. feel like that's most of the plays. Yeah, <laughs> I know have that's most of plays. <laughs> a situation they have to figure out. Have you seen Much Ado? A girl fakes her death <laughs> and then is like, "It's me. Yeah. I'm born again." <laughs> and then ultimately, he returns to. Um, romance or as they sort of called those tragic comedies where we've got Cymbeline, Winter's Tale, Tempest. Those were like oh, the last ones he wrote. I didn't really think about Tempest as a tragic comedy, but I guess it is. Yep. Okay, so people who don't believe that Shakespeare is the true author of all his plays <laughs> refer to themselves as anti-Stratfordian. <laughs> I like that title. And their biggest pieces of evidence are the fact that he was not educated so they don't think he would be able to write as well as he does and also, like, have as vast a knowledge of the various topics that he discusses. Okay. Or even the language forms that he uses and all the, like, linguistic knowledge he definitely has. Yeah. They're like, why would someone who didn't go to university and was had an illiterate family be able to know any of this? Right. The language of the will that he wrote. Uh, is very mundane and unpoetic, and we don't really have a lot of examples of writing other than his plays of his and his sonnets. Right. So, like, okay, this is an example of something that he wrote that's not something that William Shakespeare would have performed or, like, published as William Shakespeare. So this is what he would just be, like, writing every day. And it's mundane, it's unpoetic, it makes no mention of personal papers, books, poems, or any of the 18 plays that he had written by that time but had not published. Oh, interesting. And the only theat- the only reference to theater at all in his will is a monetary gift to the fellow actors of his troupe to buy mourning rings. But that part of it had been like penciled in after. Like there's like a little carrot and then like it's written like give the actors money for mourning rings. So people That's were like really someone weird. else could have written that in afterwards. That's really weird. Yeah. That's super bizarre. Do you know what the first folio is? Is that a commonly known thing? It's it's his it's his collection of plays, isn't it? Yeah. So seven years after Shakespeare died, yeah, all of the all of his like contemporaries and actors in his troupe and co-workers, yeah. they sat they sat down and got together all of his writings and like wrote it all out in like one big book that mm-hmm. they called the first folio. Mm-hmm. And that was published as like the, like that's what we look to as the most authentic and like first version of yeah. all of the plays. So if you like in high school, when I was studying Shakespeare, my teacher, whenever we had a, a piece of text assigned to us, she was like, you can't do anything until you've gone to the folio and seen how the punctuation was originally put and see how the, spelling was originally put and what letters mm-hmm. were where and like to get the language exact and yeah. it, was, it was so fascinating but the first folio wasn't published until seven years after his death right which people were like why did you wait seven years yeah to make this collection of his plays and what was most weird about that is in the time up until the folio was published and around that like the people that knew him referred to the author of the first folio as quote our ever living poet Mm. so there are some people that believe that shakespeare died seven years before but the person who actually wrote it all was still alive yeah ever living yeah and maybe died seven years later or something yeah and they were like well now that he's actually dead actually dead we'll publish all the plays that he's written and make the first folio for him but (laughs) here's my evidence for shakespeare (laughs) 
Jane's Because I know I've made it sound super sus up until this point. Like, I do think, I understand why people think what they think. However, (laughs) there is a lot of evidence of people who knew Shakespeare, like, referring to him having written things, um, including, at one point, uh, this guy named Francis Mears, M-E-R-E-S, referred to Shakespeare in uh, as an author and yeah. like referred to him having been writing that was not a rare thing like there i think there's a lot of examples of things like that we could find shakespeare in 1596 his father was granted a coat of arms and shakespeare was allowed to use the term gentleman as an honorific oh. for himself uh, which kind of shows that in london society he had been recognized as the person who was creating these works yeah and was given more honor than the lower class that he had come from yeah his more humble beginnings i think it's possible for him to have learned uh, okay this is one thing that i didn't mention before that some people are confused about how shakespeare is able to write so detailed about things that are that only exist in high class society mm-hmm. that a lower class man wouldn't have known about. Okay. Like he knows about like hunting and he knows about like specific societal things that would only exist in very high class situations. And somehow right. he, Cause he writes able- a lot about yeah. kings and queens and things yeah. like that. Which I think you could learn that stuff. Like, I think you could talk to people. I don't know. It's London. There's town squares. Where you could talk to someone's servant and you can yeah. read plays and see other people's plays and, yeah. I think it's possible to obtain that knowledge. I read one <laughs> um, article that I really liked called Rebunking Conspiracy Theories. I think it's it's like a website. Uh, this woman, Keaton Patty, or maybe it's a man. I don't know. I just assumed by the name Patty. They like said all the reasons why people think that he's not. And then they were like, okay, well, here's the reason why he probably was the writer. But then they were like, but... Here's an even crazier conspiracy theory to make the original conspiracy theory true. Oh. <laughs> and my favorite one <laughs> is the conspiracy claim that Shakespeare's plan contained vast, no- vast knowledge of foreign places and familiarity with courtly and aristocratic affairs to have been written by someone born so low in England's social order. They debunk it by saying, um, Elizabethan England featured numerous playwrights of lowly or humble backgrounds, some even worse off than Shakespeare. The bard was such an amazing talent because he was able to write about aristocratic situations without directly experiencing them. But then they rebunk it by saying the only actual means of reconciling all of this is that Shakespeare is from the future. (laughs) And... (laughs) Was actually born far in the future and thought that our modern times with all of our, like, emojis and, like, dumb millennial culture, lol, um... Oh my gosh. Couldn't appreciate this man's genius. So he went back in time to a time when they would appreciate it. And he also like jumped around to different eras of history so that he could write about them in detail. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And that's my new favorite one. And that's what I'm going to say is true. Oh my gosh. Shakespeare's a time traveler. Shakespeare's a time traveler. Just like that guy from American Horror Story. (laughs) And also, like like I said before, I just think there's so much documentation of Shakespeare just, like, being a person that exists uh, that I don't think... I, I, he, I think he wrote everything. Here's the thing that I will... You don't will... think he stole ideas from other people? Oh, no, definitely. Oh, okay. I think a lot of his ideas were not his own, but I think he wrote, like, the scripts okay. of his plays. I will say, though, that I do think he probably, from what I have learned about Shakespeare's troupe, and the mm-hmm. process of getting the plays up and published, I do think that because a lot of them were based on folklore, previously written stories, or histories that we knew, I wouldn't be surprised if the process of writing the scripts was very collaborative with his troupe. They devised. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of it was like devised yeah. theater that they put together as a group particularly with um what's the name of the other guy Richard Burbage mm, yeah people say helped him a lot yeah uh, I wouldn't be shocked if like he collaborated with other actors in his troupe yeah. to come up with the stories heavily and then maybe I think he probably just sat down and wrote it all himself that's what I think happened like I think he was the official script writer mm-hmm. I mean he was one of the actors yeah. he was in all the show so I do you want to know what I think what do you think you're going to be mad. I think that there was a guy who met a man named William Shakespeare who lived in Stratford-on-Avon 
was like a normal guy and for some reason he didn't want to use his name so he used William Shakespeare's name but William Shakespeare just lived in Stratford like with his family and then there was another guy being like yeah I'm William Shakespeare and just never admitted who his name was like never just went around being like I'm Shakespeare and then when the real Shakespeare died that's why it wasn't in his will because it like yeah. it wasn't really him so then he was like oh we gotta then the other guy was like oh no 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 no. he has to mention something because like yeah. everyone thinks i'm shakespeare and then he like disappeared because it was like william shakespeare died yeah so he disappeared and then seven years later that guy died and they published the first folio because only like his acting troupe knew or something yeah right uh, yeah that's, that's what no that sounds like a good theory to me I just don't think it's like a Christopher Marlowe case. I I do. Res- I don't think it's a Christopher. Yeah, Marlowe I case. highly respect Christopher Marlowe and all the other um, medieval content, not medieval Elizabethan contemporaries of yeah. Shakespeare, but I don't think one of them was like secretly writing. I think if it was someone else, it was like someone we don't know their name. Yeah, I don't think we we would know their name. I think it's literally just a guy yeah. who's like, I want to borrow your name and like your persona because for some reason that's his was secret. i like this theory i'm on board with this and that's what happened during the lost years like this guy was like i'm gonna be like, you gonna... so lay low for seven years but I, it's I just know. fascinating to me that like there's just this period I think where we know the, nothing yeah and then when he comes back it's not it's like, like super famous shakespeare returns from camping for seven years or like <laughs> Well, I it's think like, yeah, this man that we all consider that famous. That, I think, though, proves that there was a second person because, like, otherwise, I think all of Shakespeare would have been lost. If he was just a normal guy, it mm-hmm. would have been like, like, most people, we only have their birth certificate, their death certificate, their will. Mm-hmm. So I think he would have just stayed lost. And then this other guy was like, no, I'm going to take on your name. I'm just going to pretend to be you. You don't have to do anything. I'm just going <laughs> to use your name. And he was like, okay. There is evidence, though, that because Stratford and, and London are not close enough that he could like commute. Yeah. <laughs> he exactly. spent a lot of time in London, like going back and forth. And like, there was like a lot of strain between his family because of that, because okay. he just like wasn't around. Okay. So if he wasn't in London writing plays and being in plays, like where was he? Like, <laughs> What was he off doing? Yeah. I don't know. I do think, I do think there's a lot that's really suspicious about it, particularly when you take into consideration that like, there's not hardcore evidence that he was educated. His parents wouldn't have taught him this. And he just knows a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, I think maybe it was some, like, royal person who was, like, or not royalty, but, like, a lord or something who was, yeah. like, I just really want to be a playwright, but mm. I can't because I'm a lord, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I have responsibilities, but he didn't want responsibilities. He wanted to write. He wanted to be an artist. <laughs> and his dad didn't understand. <laughs> So he was like, I'll use Shakespeare's name. He'll be like, I'm going to write all these plays, but can you publish them? And Shakespeare was like, sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. No. There's a lot about it that I find suspicious. You're right. You're not wrong. <laughs> this is my Sarah's new theory. <laughs> I'm with, I'm. Stratfordian theory. <laughs> oh, no. What's the word for like anti Stratfordian is people who don't think. And then there's like. Maybe it was maybe it was Stratfordian for people who who do believe. Is that everything about? That's Shakespeare? everything about Shakespeare. Wow. I think he wrote it all, but I I, I respect the theory that you have because that sounds really plausible to me. Yeah, I don't think he was Christopher Marlowe. No, but I do think that there are missing pieces. The fact that it's like oh we go seven years without documentation of him is like okay, well, maybe we just, like, lost some... It was 1585 to 1592. Like, yeah, we lost some some paperwork, but... Maybe his house burnt down or something. Maybe. I mean, there was... Didn't the globe burn down? (laughs) The globe did burn down, but... Maybe we lost some paperwork. That was later, though. Yeah, but still. (laughs) What, you think he was keeping all of his papers at the globe? And before the globe was was built, like, the Lord Chamberlain's men, then the King's men used to do their plays in a different space than the globe and then they moved so they <laughs> i love the story they literally took down their they like tore down their playhouse and then took the wood over to where the globe was and used the same wood to rebuild the globe yeah so like I, there was a transition there maybe we lost some paperwork <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't Who shock knows? me that there's seven years missing but it does shock me that it's like when he does return it's like suddenly he's famous and we don't know when, how he got famous or yeah which is interesting too that's the one thing that's like hmm to hmm. me yeah 
But you know where I stand. I appreciate where you... I, I'm not, like, mad at you for thinking okay. that. Okay. I'm, I'm almost mad at you because I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and now it, like, made me start to think of it. It's fine. But, like, the thing is, is, like, no matter who it is, no matter who they were, we have these plays. Yeah. And they've had a huge global impact. And, like... Does it really matter which white guy it was? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, we have the plays. We have the work. They've made their impact. And that's still that's still hugely important, no matter yeah. who it is. And, like, we just happen to ascribe the name Shakespeare to it. So are you ready for our Reddit segment? I am. So someone on Reddit asked a question that I've been too afraid to ask. And I'll admit it. Which is, what's going on in Hong Kong? Like, oh, what, my God. What are these protests about? And I'm like, okay, thank you for asking because I've had, like, very little of a clue and I know I should know more. Yeah. So I I looked it up. So I'm going to tell you what the protests mm-hmm. in Hong Kong are going uh, are because I'm sure you know because you're very up on the news. I actually don't really. Okay. Um, but a lot of people might not know. So I just was like, it's time for me to, mm-hmm. you know, figure this out. So here we go. The protests in Hong Kong started because of the extradition bill, which is a law that would have allowed for criminal suspects to be extradited to the mainland China for their trial Mm. um, under certain circumstances in which it's assumed they would receive harsher punishment. Also, opponents of this bill said that this risked exposing Hong Kongers to unfair trials and violent treatment. And they also argued that the bill would give China a greater influence over Hong Kong and could be used to target activists and journalists because there are a lot of activists and journalists in Hong Kong writing about the problems going on in China under mm-hmm. the protection of Hong Kong. But this would put them at risk for that if like, it was legal for criminals to be extradited. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people then took to the streets and after weeks of protest, their leader, Carrie Lam, eventually said the bill would be suspended indefinitely. Okay. Um, but the protests escalated because protesters feared that the bill could be revived. So mm-hmm. demonstrations continued, calling for it to be withdrawn completely well, yeah. as opposed to suspended. And the bill was finally withdrawn in September. By then, fights between police and protesters had become more frequent and more violent. Injuries on both sides and a lot of people had been arrested. There are photos of, like, you know, gas cans being thrown at protesters. Mm-hmm. Lots of, lots of chaos. Um, if you watch the video, there's a video that's like the number of people that walked through the main street of um, Hong Kong in a day. And it was like this crazy, like billions of people. Jeez. It's like, it's like nuts. It's absolutely insane. It's just like a time lapse of like eight hours. And the street is just filled as the crowd moves for like eight or nine hours straight. Jeez. It's not, it's not billions because that'd be the world. But like millions of people. <laughs> that would be the world. That would, be, that would just be the world. Every single one, every single one of us was there in every Hong Kong. Police have fired, they've, oh yeah, they, th- they threw tear gas and rubber bullets at activists. And some active activists in response have thrown bricks, firebombs, and other heavy objects mm-hmm. in july the protesters stormed parliament and, def- and defaced parts of it a masked mob armed with sticks um assaulted pro-democracy protesters and passersby inside young long station which is really far from the city center so like they're they're not even focusing it near the government center in August, a protester was injured um, in the eye, which after that, the demonstrators wore red-colored eye patches to show their solidarity mm-hmm. with that specific protester. Protest action at the Hong Kong International Airport in August also saw renewed clashes and led to hundreds of flights being canceled um, because they mm-hmm. refused to leave the airport. So right now, the protesters' demands have changed. They wanted the withdrawal of the riot description used about the protest. They don't want it to be called a riot. They want it to be called a protest yeah. revolution. Um, they want amnesty for the arrested protesters. They want an independent inquiry into alleged police brutality. And they want universal suffrage for the election of the chief executive and legislative council, which is Hong Kong, and which is Hong Kong's parliament. Um, some also are calling for the resignation of Carrie Lam, um, who they view as, like, Beijing's puppet like they don't believe that she's on the side of Hong Kong I think they she wants to work I think it's a she that she wants to work with China, mainland China yeah which is not what they want because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people in Hong Kong don't trust the Chinese government 
Um, it's also not clear if scrapping the bill will end the protest. Um, some people are like, no, it's already too late. The damage has been done by proposing the bill. Mm-hmm. China has condemned the Hong Kong protests as behavior that is close to terrorism. So, like, clearly China's thoughts on democracy mm-hmm. really are really tight. There have also been reports of Chinese police and military massing across the border in Shenzhen in a clear show of force. So there's evidence that the Chinese government is trying to stop this as well, mm-hmm. which is obviously problematic because it's not their country. Um, protests supporting the Hong Kong movement have spread across the globe with rallies taking place in the UK, France, US, Canada, and Australia. And in many cases, people supporting the Hong Kong demonstrators were confronted by pro-Beijing rallies. That's pretty much everything that's going on in Hong Kong. And just so everyone knows, I didn't necessarily know this. Hong Kong used to be a British colony, and then it was handed back to China in 1997. So it's considered a colony of China, but it mm-hmm. is uh, it is run under a one-country, two-systems agree- agreement that guarantees it a level of autonomy. It has its own judiciary and separate legal system from mainland China, um, and those rights include freedom of assembly and freedom of speech. Um, but those freedoms expire in 2047, and it's unclear what Hong Kong's status will be after that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who live in Hong Kong, I don't know, the Hongkongese, I don't know, are very concerned about the future of Hong Kong yeah. and also the future of Hong Kong in relation to China. Um, and there is a lot of distrust in China in Hong Kong at the moment. And this is kind of just fueled a larger fire, essentially. Yeah. In tension between the two of them so that's what's actually going on in hong kong i knew that there were a lot of protests going on and i knew it had to do with the chinese government i yeah. just didn't know exactly how it started Same. but yeah it was over extradition which is obviously really scary thank you for telling me about that You're i honestly like I, it was something that i have been like not avoiding but like mm-hmm. be, but like i knew it would be Important to know. Important to know. Yeah. And I keep seeing it and being like, okay, eventually I will learn I'm all about that because yeah. I feel like I'm so lacking in knowledge about it that yeah. I don't know where to start. Yeah. But that was helpful. Great. Um, yeah. And we were recently talking about some celebrity that got in trouble because she supported the Chinese, the, the Hong Kong police. Wasn't oh, it? It was the, the woman playing Mulan. Yeah. I don't know. I forget her name. Yeah. So we were talking about that. So that also made me think about it. And I was like, I should find out what's going on with that. But in a totally different... No, let's get back to some writers. Are you ready to talk about the Brothers Grimm? <laughs> oh, yeah. My so, brothers. Your, your brothers. I do have two brothers, and were there two of them? Yeah. I mean, they they had more siblings, but they're famous for being the duo. <gasps> are there any sisters Grimm, and are they mad? <laughs> There's one sister Grimm. I don't know her name. Poor girl. But they had three other brothers. They actually were, they actually were two of nine children, but only um, six of them survived infancy. I would hate that. I would hate being a mother in times when you would just have as many kids as you could so that like some will survive so that a handful would survive. Like, I don't want to give birth that many times to lose that many kids. It's very, very sad. Yeah, they were they had three brothers and one sister. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Although we know them for their collection of fairy tales, the Brothers Grimm were two of the most important German academics of their time. Jacob and Wilhelm were born only one year apart in 1785 and 1786, respectively, and were the oldest of five brothers and one sister. They were born in Hanau in what was then the Holy Roman Empire, which is now Germany. And, like, Mm -hmm. this really made me realize that the Holy Roman Empire and Prussia was a lot more recent than I thought it was. Like, that seems to me something, like, so ancient, the Holy Roman Empire, but it's, like, that was existing in the same time of America. This was, a lot of this takes place during the American Revolution and the early formation of the American government interesting and like i'll bring up multiple times that germany was protesting for an independent democratic state like that was Mm. happening the exact same time of america so like yes america is new because like many of our concepts of our ancestors didn't live here before you know the 1600s unless you're um an indigenous person um and a lot we don't have like old buildings like there are in europe you know stuff from a thousand the year 1000 but like government wise we're like kind of right on par (laughs) (laughs) but that just like really blew my mind that they were still live that they lived in the holy roman empire because they also felt like the brothers Grimm were such a medieval group but like yeah the 1780s yeah like they lived the same time as george washington 
That's not at all what I would they have They lived guessed. sooner than George Washington. George Washington died much before them. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was, you know, notable. Um, in 1791, the Grimm family moved to Steinau after their father, Philip, got a job there as a district magistrate. From 1791 to 1796, the family lived a happy life with servants and private tutors and a considerably large house for the time. I saw a picture of it. Like, it's not like, a, it's not like a mansion, but it had two floors and like, it looks like a nice house. Yeah. So like, okay, great. Like, yeah, they had money, you know. However... In 1796, Philip Grimm died of pneumonia, and the family plunged into poverty, which is really sad. Their mother, what Dorothea, a grim fate he had. <laughs> Their mother. This is a grim tale. <laughs> <laughs> Their mother, Dorothea, relied on support from her sister, who was the first lady in waiting in the court of William the First, and her father. Um, What's Jacob a beautiful and, name, Dorothea. Dorothea, yeah. It's Dorothea. like it might be Dorothea, because it's like Taya, like in Spring Awakening. Uh, um, it's it's like Dorothy, but instead of Y, it's T H E A. So it might also just be a weird way of saying. Like we might translate it to be Dorothy, but it's German. I don't know. Dorothea. I don't know. Whatever it is, Dorothea. As the oldest living son, Jacob, and then soon Wilhelm, because he was only a year younger, um, had to take over as the authority males in the house when Jacob was only 11 and William Wilhelm was 10. They relied heavily on the advice of their grandfather, their mom's father, um, who I don't think they lived with, but I do think they lived near them and relied on them for care, for money. Makes sense. In 1798, the brothers left to attend school in Kassel, which their aunt had arranged and paid for. Again, she was the one that worked on, she was a lady in waiting at the court of William I. Um, by this point, their grandfather had died. So the two boys became very close because they had to rely on each other for like absolutely everything. Um, like they were, they were really self-sufficient and were receiving really no like, paternal support um or any sort of parenting at that point so it was really just them parenting each other and they graduated the tops of their classes in 1803 and 1804 this is from like what we consider a high school or a boarding school yeah the brothers then attended the university of marburg to study law where they were treated poorly because of their low social status they were excluded from any financial aid student activities or social life because they were low income i know while in school their law professor friedrich von savigny got them interested in philology and philology is the study of oral history oh. and medieval German literature. They shared his support in the unification of Germany, which would become a reoccurring thread in their lives. And the two dedicated themselves to the study of old German. Okay. In 1805, Jacob was still financially responsible for his mother and siblings. So he accepted a position as a research assistant to von Savigny in Paris. Um, when he returned to Marburg, he was forced to abandon his studies and took a job in the, with the Hessian War Commission. Hessian was the is the region of Germany they were in. Yeah. Um, in eighteen oh eight, he became court librarian to the King of Westphalia, which was a really big deal. Um, their mother died later that year, and he assumed full responsibility for his family. He sent his brother Ludwig to art school and paid for a heart treatment for Wilhelm. Wilhelm was known as the more outgoing brother, but he was very sickly. Jacob was considered very introverted and um, introspective. Wilhelm then joined Jacob as a librarian in Cassel, and around this time they began collecting folktales. So the two of them, after this, like, were pretty much always together, except for when Jacob took this job as a research research assistant and went to Paris. And there was like a two year period where they weren't together. And then after that, that sounds like a thing in a movie. It does. I'm going to Paris for two years, and then we'll reunite. And then we'll reunite. I don't even think he was there. I think he was in Paris for maybe a year, and then he took a job for a year at the, at the court of Westphalia, and then came back to Cassel, and his brother joined him as this librarian. Because their jobs as librarians offered ample time for research, between 1812 and 1830, the brothers published a number of books, the first being their first volume of 86 folktales titled Children's and Household Tales, which would later become Grimm's Fairy Tales. Um, it, it has a long title in German, and I don't speak German, but the abbreviation is KMH. Mm. Um, the second edition of this book was published in 1815. Their books gained such recognition that they both received honorary doctorates from two universities, including the one that, like... <laughs> bullied them so that's nice <laughs> the brothers would end up publishing seven editions of what became Grimm's fairy tales totaling 210 stories 
At first, the volumes were criticized because the books were not considered suitable for children, even though the word kinder, which is um, child, was included in the title. Um, For example, the wicked mother in the first edition of Snow White, as opposed to an evil stepmother that they changed in later editions. So at first it was a mom and then they were like, too scary. And they're like, fine, it's a stepmom. Moms um, can't be mean. Moms Fine. Can be mean. Stepmoms will. Stepmoms will be mean. Um, they also publish editions of their stories for child readers specifically. So it was like the like little golden book edition <laughs> of Grimm's fairy tales. <laughs> the fairy tales were published in a time of romantic nationalism, which had revived interest in fairy tales because again, there was all of this like desire for German unification, a lot of German pride about them wanting to be a nation, not like a a group of kingdoms mm-hmm. but the Grimm's fairy tales gained popularity because they were considered quote uniquely German the stories they had collected had been passed through oral tradition and were now being made available in a world where oral history was being threatened by industrialization um so they were like we want to we want to keep this you know kind of rustic traditional feel to it mm-hmm. as you know we become a world where pe- everyone's working all the time and Um, We're spending less time at home with our families. They really wanted to preserve that. The brothers also kept alive fragments of former religions and faith that only continued to exist in these stories. Which is really sweet. Although they had a reputation for collecting tales from peasants, many come from many come from middle class or aristocratic acquaintances. Hansel and Gretel and Sleeping Beauty both came from Wilhelm's wife, which I thought was really cool. Um, Maria Tatar writes quote the brother's goal of preserving and shaping the tales as something uniquely german at a time of french occupation was a form of intellectual resistance and in doing so they established a methodology for collecting and preserving folklore that set the model followed later by writers throughout europe during periods of occupation so it was important to them to hold on to themselves as german and not as a part of this greater holy roman empire or prussia Mm -hmm. or whatever it was at the time because there was a lot of shifts in power. They wanted to make people feel like I am German amongst all of this. As editions were published, the stories became less violent and sexual. Um, a good example <laughs> of this is that in the early edition of Rapunzel, Rapunzel says to Mother Gothel that her dress is getting tighter around her belly. And this is after the prince has started visiting her. So ah! it's like clearly implied that she's getting pregnant and they removed this because it was too sexy. <laughs> wow. Well, I know. doesn't... I don't think they changed it that much because doesn't she wander into the wilderness and have twins or something? I don't know. That's what happens. In, I, th- I think that's the original story. Is she, after the mm, East wicked lady, I don't know if Mother Gothel is always her name, but. Yes, she was always, it was, she was like, it wasn't Mother Gothel, but it was something Gothel. Yeah, after she gets kicked out of the cast, the tower, she like wanders into the woods and then has twins. Interesting. They didn't, the article didn't mention this. They were just like, they took out the part where she was getting pregnant. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. They also began weaving morality into the story. So before it was kind of like, this is just a story. And then they were kind of like, and the moral is, is that sometimes we have regret (laughs) or something like that. And they changed, I thought this was interesting, they changed many words of French origin to German origin. So instead of saying prince or princess, which in German that word has a French, like, comes from the, mm. comes from a French word. They changed it to king's daughter or king's son because it sounds oh. more German to say that. Yeah. So they did a lot of that, too. Same with the word fairy. They would change it to enchantress because it sounded more German. Ooh. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Because at this time, discipline, especially for children, relied on fear, the brothers left the scarier stories in the collection, like Little Red Riding Hood, because they were meant as warning tales to children, um, which shows a lot about like yeah. what we, about how pedagogy has changed, which yeah. I, I find really fascinating. Many of the stories were originally more violent, like I said. Snow White originally ended with um, <laughs> the queen dancing on red-hot iron shoes at Snow White's wedding, which kill her. Uh-huh. The, that's another example where that queen was originally her mother and then they changed it to stepmother because the queen was like bring me her liver and i'll eat it and people were like that's your kid <laughs> in the goose girl a servant is shown oh, what? the goose girl <laughs> 
I don't know what this story is about. Um, but in this story, a, a goose girl, <laughs> clearly, a servant is shoved in a barrel with nails drilled <gasps> into it, like pointing inward in the barrel and rolled down the hill, ah! which is horrific. Um, this also is a reflection of the medieval culture from which these stories derived. Um, and it was a way of kind of holding on to the values from back then, which is why they didn't want to change them, because it showed a lot about how society has changed, which people were opposed to then. But now people are like, oh, no, we're glad they kept that because it teaches us a lot about, like, how mm-hmm. people thought. Scholars have also point out how many stories include spinning as a motif, um, which was commonly performed by women in the home. In the Brothers Grimm stories, a woman's personality is often represented by her attitude towards spinning. Like in mm-hmm. what Rumble Stiltskin spinning is a threat versus others that show oh spinning spinning yeah like literally a I spin. thought you were saying spitting like no no spinning like you're spinning thread yeah so that was a very common motif in their stories um, the stories also reflect Germans fear of dark woods <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood <laughs> being one example um, the rustic simplicity of German culture many of these stories are about peasants and they live in a cabin yeah. and everything's very simple and fun. Or not fun. Fun. It's not, I wouldn't say it's fun, but it's simple, you know? The Grimm's tendency to idealize and excuse fathers, which is why many of the villainous characters are women. Oh, mothers, yeah. Yeah, and like, absent fathers. Probably because they lost their father at a young age. Not that and, and other people are like, they probably also changed mothers to stepmothers in later editions because they didn't want to feel like they were demonizing their mother because yeah. they didn't hate their mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, had, they definitely had a complicated relationship with fatherhood. And also, Jacob's, Jacob and Wilhelm's dedication to each other is very clear in their stories. 41 of the tales are about siblings. Aww. So the, clearly they had an interest in, you know, brotherhood. That's is, sweet. Yeah, I thought that's sweet. By doing this research and publishing this collect, these collections, the brothers made a science of the study of folklore, also known as folkloristics. So we can thank them for that. I love that. Wilhelm married Henriette, again, Dorothea, Dorothea. She is her, he is her, his father, his mother. She has his mother's middle name. Oh, okay. Um, in 1825, Jacob never married, but lived with his brother and sister and sister-in-law. In 1830, both brothers were overlooked for the position of chief librarian in Kassel. So they decided to move to uh, Göttingen in the kingdom of Hanover. Mm-hmm. At the University of Göttingen, Jacob was hired as a professor and had librarian, and Wilhelm was hired as a professor. But this was short-lived. Um, in 1835, Jacob published German Mythology. Uh, that's the title of the book. While Wilhelm continued to work on the third edition of Grimm's Fairy Tales. And in 1837, they lost their jobs at the university because of their involvement with the Göttingen Seven. Um, the Göttingen Seven were a group of professors who opposed the new king of hanover and refused to pledge allegiance to him like they refused to take an oath Mm -hmm. um and small rebellions like this led to the movement for democratic reform in germany known as young germany that's what the revolution was called jacob Grimm was even deported from hanover because of his involvement with the Göttingen seven along with two others he returned to Kassel and was eventually joined by wilhelm and wilhelm's family Mm. so he got kicked out they both got fired but he got he got right, yeeted. He, <laughs> he really yeeted him out of there. At this time, the Grimm brothers began their lifelong project, project, which was writing a dictionary, a German dictionary. Oh, yeah. wow. 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 <laughs> Can they you imagine? They're really living up to their librarian. Like, <laughs> they really are. They are the Ravenclawist of Ravenclaws. They're like, you know what? I'm going to write a dictionary. <laughs> That'll really <laughs> show them. In 1840, their former professor von Savigny appealed on the brothers' behalf and secured them employment at the University of Berlin. The Academy of Sciences even offered stipends to continue their research, which, like, good for them. Those are hard to come by. (laughs) I'm happy for them. In 1848, after several revolutions in Germany, the brothers were elected to civil parliament. This was after, I don't think Germany had become totally unified yet, but there was a total upheaval in German government. So the brothers were elected to civil parliament. Jacob became a prominent member of the National Assembly. Eventually, Jacob resigned from the university and published The History of the German Language. Wilhelm retired in 1852. They worked on their German dictionary for the rest of their lives. Wilhelm died of an infection in 1859, which caused Jacob to become a bit of a recluse. He like didn't really know mm-hmm. what to do without his brother. And Jacob died in 1863, four years later. 
Their books and fairy tales continued to have a remarkable effect on German culture. The tales were added to the Prussian teaching curriculum in the 1870s. In the 20th century, it was the second most popular book in Germany, second only to the Bible. <laughs> um, this, this is a little unfortunate. The Third Reich used the Grimm's mm. Tales as a symbol of nationalism. The Nazi party passed a law that every household had to own a copy of Grimm's fairy tales because they were meant to be very german nationalistic yeah. but i don't think this is what they meant um later allies in occupied germany even banned the book because they were so worried that like it would fuel german pride and be mm. and adolf hitler in particular really enjoyed grimm's fairy tales because so often the characters were blonde hair blue-eyed yeah um and they they were seen as very quote-unquote pure germans so that's where he got a lot of his idealistic images about what germany was supposed to be yeah which is really sad but on a lighter note the books have the stories in the books have often served as a comfort in times again because they were written during a time of occupation served as a time of served as a symbol in a time of overcoming hardship for many other communities and many other Mm -hmm. groups like the Disney released the movie Sleeping Beauty in the middle of the Cold War because it's a story Mm. of, like, you know, getting through something and, like, overcoming an evil in many cultures, not just German culture. The Grimm's Tales, speaking of, the Grimm's Tales have provided much of the foundation of the Disney empire. And I love this next part because Wikipedia pointed out that Jane's favorite movies are Cinderella and other Cinderella's. They were like, so then they released Cinderella, which served as the inspiration for movies such as Pretty Woman, which I know is not a favorite of yours, but just get ready. I like Pretty Woman. It's not my favorite, but. Okay. So for movies such as Pretty Woman, The Princess Diaries, The Princess Diaries 2, Ever After, Made in Manhattan, and Ella Enchanted. Oh my God. (laughs) I literally was like, oh my God, Jane's favorite movies are Cinderella and more Cinderella. I love all of those movies. Pretty Woman's like, okay, but all of those others are bangers. I was like cackling. You said Ella Enchanted's on there? Mm-hmm. Heck yes. Love Ella Enchanted. So good. Their stories caused much debate over whether children's stories should be sanitized. While some believe that children should be protected from cruelty in any form and therefore Grimm's fairy tales were too harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, others thought that children could easily discern the difference between truth and fiction. So this mm-hmm. kind of sparked a debate about that. Regardless, the impression of the Grimm brothers has been lasting and we have them to thank for the longevity of many stories we hold dear. Hmm. And that is everything on the Brothers Grimm. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. I just was cackling at this list. Like, the Cinderella Like, wow, <laughs> that's so targeted. I literally was saying last night about how much I liked Men- Made in Manhattan. Yeah, literally, last night we were watching 27 Dresses and Kelsey asked Jane what her favorite rom-com is. And Jane was like, I don't know, I love Made in Manhattan. It's fun. The only problem with that... Sorry to reveal my politics again, but you all, you all know. My only issue with that movie is that the love interest is a Republican. But <laughs> Ooh, that is tough. But he's learning from a lady from J-Lo's character who's awesome. We do love J-Lo. We love her. I love Ella Enchanted. What a good movie. Oh, my word. A princess Iris 2, I feel like, is not a movie about a poor girl. Yeah, about her, but success. She's already a princess about to be queen. Yeah. She's, I mean, she is of humble origins. She was raised by right. an artist mother in a fire. Although, how did they afford that firehouse in San Francisco? <laughs> they must have had money. I'm sure her prince father must have left them some money. <laughs> I just have, like, I love The Princess Diaries. I love it so much, but I have so many questions about so many. Of oh, the about how, like, the government of Genovia works. There's so many, like, what? And about how she didn't know her father was a prince. Yeah, you'd think that would have been... A big deal. Like, if... If there was another brother of William and Harry, and they (laughs) moved to America, fell in love with an artist, and, like, had a child, and then died... We'd spend a lot of time giving the child in America attention, right? Also like, that, like, she didn't even seem to know Genovia was a country. No, she knew it was a country, but she, like, barely... She was, like, she's from, like, Genovia or somewhere. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, 
Like, she knew her grandmother lived in Genovia, but she, like, uh... I have so many questions. Also, like, how does she not have security on her? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, lo- I love The Princess Diaries. I the Princess too. Diaries 2, one of my favorite movies. But, like, lots, lots of questions. <laughs> many, many questions. All right. I think that's everything. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast, or, and or, you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Both are insanely helpful. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com, and we would love to incorporate it on our show. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? No, you know what you're asking me I about. do, I do, I do. Oh. I'm just trying to get the wording correct. Um, I would love to know more about, because we're getting spooky now. It's October. My favorite time spooky of year. Spooky season. Spooky season has arrived. I would love to know more about the history of Wicca. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, I feel like we know so much about, like, the Salem witch trials and everything, but I don't know a lot about the practice of Wicca specifically. Okay. Sarah, I have a very similar thing. <gasps> we'll just have a, a, theme. a theme. A theme. I love a theme. <laughs> Sarah, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I want you to tell me about, like, celebrities or famous people in general who some people think might be witches oh my gosh i love a theme this will be really fun let's did you know no wait i won't say it let's take the mask off of some people and yeah let's let's expose them let's expose some witches i know one that you're gonna love to celebrate them not to i don't want to be like i caught you (laughs) (laughs) I want to be like, yes, I love you. I love you. Snaps. <laughs> Great. Let's do it. I just throw in like crazy ones like Hillary Clinton. No, that'd be way too political. I'm also, sure there's some crazy people out You'd there think she would have won if right. she were. Right. Evidence <laughs> she's she not magic. a witch. Right. Evidence she's not a witch. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Woo woo! All right, so that's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.